Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. The world uses the word hope different than we use the word hope. The word hope in the world is like, I'm wishing it would happen. I hope it happens. Let me give you an example. I hope this new diet I'm on will help me lose weight. I'm hoping it will. I'm wishing it will. Here's another one for you guys. And I'll say this for me. I hope, I'm wishing that Miami might win one more game this whole year. Words that we're used to using can have multiple meanings depending on the context. In the same way, some words have different meanings in a Christian context. Words like life or death take on a special meaning when we use them in regards to spiritual life or death. Likewise, the word hope has a different connotation when speaking from a Christian perspective. Pastor Mark will be focusing on how God uses words like hope and the necessity for us to embrace his view of these words. As we do this, we will gain a better understanding of how God thinks and how we should think as well. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 1 Peter chapter 1 with part 1 of his message, Every Christ Follower Has a Living Hope. This is an exciting day because we begin a brand new book, 1 Peter. And so if you do not have a Bible, we'd encourage you definitely to get one right now. And uh, just raise your hand as we start this. Probably take us nine to ten weeks to get through uh, these five chapters just filled with good stuff. So again, get your hand raised. When you mention the word Peter, it's interesting. What, what kind of comes to your mind when you think of Peter? All kinds of things. Remember, he was called to follow Jesus in his early ministry, and uh, was later appointed basically not just a follower, but he eventually became one of the 12 apostles. And as we see that happening in his life, he then moved from one of the 12 to the leader of the 12. Now, remember, as you look at his life, guess what you follow with Peter? It's one of these kind of things. Lots of good stuff, but he's also known as the guy that would put his foot in his mouth quite often and just say some crazy thing. Now, he's a fisherman. Remember, he was a fisherman. He lived and walked with Jesus. He even had him in his own home, remember, in Capernaum. And here is Peter, who is an average fisherman. And wait till you begin to read his book. Of course, the Holy Spirit's given it to him. He had no background, no education in biblical things at all. And of course, how can you be better than three years with Jesus? And he learned all these principles, and we're going to learn a lot of them today. Many of the books in the New Testament, called epistles, are letters from different people to 
churches at a certain town. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. He wrote it to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. He, at Corinth, he wrote the book of Corinthians. And usually when he'd write those books, they were because there was a problem in the church. There was something doctrinally, morally, all kinds of things. And he would write a, a, a book of correction. Pretty common for Paul as he went through. Now, this book is very different. This book is not sent to a locality, a church. It's sent basically, well, let me read the first verse and you'll see. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, notice the word, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Today, we know it as Turkey. So all those cities in Turkey is where he wrote this general letter, and it would be passed to different churches. Now, it wasn't because there was a problem in the church. It's because the people he's writing to were being persecuted for their faith. When the Christianity started in Jerusalem, the people that would persecute Christians were the Jewish people. They hated them. Rome pretty much had their hands laid off them for a while. But eventually, as time went on, that persecution still happened with some Jews. But Peter's writing to Jews who have become Christians, but mostly Gentiles. And there was great persecution in those days. We think maybe that Paul wrote this book from Rome. We're not sure. Somewhere around AD 64. Now, if you know anything from church history, Nero was the leader in Rome. And he killed just so many Christians. You remember, he's the one, Nero, who hated from Rome, that hated Christians. He would take Christians. He would line them up. And they would pour tar over their heads and light them. And use them as street lights in the city as they died. This was the persecution in Rome. We don't know how bad it was in Turkey, our modern day Turkey. But it was people who kind of were without hope. So this whole book is related to people who are having difficulties and trials and suffering. The key word is hope in the book. You say, well, Pastor Mark, that doesn't really have anything to do with me. Well, it does, because we're not talking about necessarily that kind of suffering. This letter will help every one of us to have a victorious life, because that's what he's writing to these guys. Doesn't matter the circumstances, you can make it. So we have troubles and trials and difficulties and all kinds of things that I'll talk about as we go through the book. We live in a world that's just like that. That's just the way it is. Look how he starts at the beginning. Verse one and a little part of verse two. To God's elect, if you'd like, you can circle that word, I'll get back to it. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. This opens up A bag of worms, but we're not going to make it a bag of worms. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man. How does that work? Human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. Now, notice, to God's elect chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. One of the things we know about God because of his character is he's all-knowing. You can never tell God anything. In the beginning was, come on, in the beginning was God. So everything that we have, everything that we are was designed by God. He's all-knowing. That's part of his character. All-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at the same time. Now, what that means is not only was he all-knowing, this is very important. He knows the beginning 
and the end of every single one of you. Now, I know my beginning. So do you. None of us here knows our end. He knows exactly our end. And so that means that God had a a picture in the future of every single person and how they would live on this earth because he's all-knowing. In other words, this verse says God chose the people for salvation who he knew would freely choose him. Now, his foreknowledge, knowing that we would accept him when someone presented the gospel to us, did not eliminate me choosing. That's where the Christian viewpoint gets into people arguing about this. So God placed the offer of salvation. That some people say, well, God didn't elect some people. They'll never be able to get saved. Well, I know a scripture in the Bible. You do too. It's God's will that how many perish? None. Okay, well, how would that work? Do you know if you take the Calvinism, which is fine, but if you take it to the nth degree, here's what some people will believe. That God even elected people to hell. So you'd have no chance. I don't agree with that at all. Jesus died for the whole world. So when you see this, and I'll go through it, don't get confused with it. Don't spend your time trying to figure out that. Attempting to understand God's election and human responsibility, my choice, that's beyond our thinking. Chuck Smith is the one that started Calvary Chapels. He's going to be with the Lord. I have always had this, and I want to read it to you this morning. The Bible actually teaches both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. People who become divisive on the issue claim that you can't believe both. There's either one or the other. We don't believe that at all. We see it in the Bible. Remember, even with the Old Testament, does man have a real choice in life? Well, when Adam and Eve were the first couple and they were created... They're in the garden. What did God say? Don't fool around with the tree. They had a choice right from the beginning. The Bible tells us that Jesus was actually crucified before man was even created in the heart, in the mind of God. He knew that would come. So what did God know? That Adam and Eve would what? Rebel. He knew it. But he didn't make them rebel. They chose to rebel. So listen, if you carry the sovereignty of God to the extreme, it eliminates the responsibility of man. In other words, if God's sovereign and you have no choice, then if he chose you to be a Christian, you'll be one. If he didn't, you don't. But we don't believe that at all. Likewise, if you carry the responsibility of man to the other extreme, it eliminates the sovereignty of God. God has nothing to do with it. I decided this. No, remember, the Bible says you didn't choose me. God says, I chose you. So here it is. Understand this. Human logic makes it impossible to reckon the two. There's no way to understand it. So as you think about that today, understand the Bible says also this. I won't read it because of time this morning. The Bible actually says this in 1 Corinthians 13. We see through a glass darkly. See, we're not God. We don't understand everything. Eventually, One day we'll get all of this, but we really don't understand everything. So here's what you want to write this morning. Here's what Peter is saying. Remember, when when Jesus walked by the shore and said to Peter, come follow me, God knew that was going to happen. That started right from there and away we went. Now, write this down this morning. I was chosen by God, as I believe everyone is chosen to be a Christian, But I had to also choose Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. 
There's the sovereignty of God in my responsibility. You got it? I have to choose Jesus Christ. Now, you'll see what that means as we walk through the scriptures this morning. When that takes place, Peter begins to do one thing. Encourage the hurting people. The people that are being persecuted. That are hurting deeply. He's going to encourage them. And he's going to give them blessings that God has already given them. Sometimes when we're hurting, going through trial difficulties, we forget the blessing that God's given us. Now look at verse 2 again. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now you see something in verse 2, and I want you to write it in your Bible. You see in verse 2, the Trinity. What is the Trinity? God the Father. Come on. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. How many of you are former Catholics? Or maybe you're still a Catholic. Raise your hand. Okay, come on. Show us. Here we go. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Here we are. Got it. Right? Sometimes you Protestants, you don't get it at all. Here's the, here it is. There's the Trinity. God is one, but he's what? He's three. Now explain that. Good luck. We don't get that either, but it's truth. Notice something else is important. Maybe you haven't seen this. Look at the end of that verse. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. You can't have peace unless it starts with grace. See, the grace of God enables me to have the peace of God. I can't get peace and then try to find grace. It's the other way around. Now, when you see the Trinity, these three brought me salvation. All three. We're involved in our salvation. If you're Christian today, all three. Uh, You don't need to write this, but let me go through and show you how it works. Here it is. Number one. In grace, because we didn't deserve to be a Christian. It's by grace you're saved. In grace, God the Father chose us to submit to him before we chose him. So God loving the world chose everybody to follow him. But he left the free will to you and me. Some of you have never asked Christ to be your savior. He's waiting for you because we'll see later the danger of not doing that. Number two, in love, God so loved the world that he sent Jesus and Jesus went to the cross because he loved you and me. In love, God, the son, Jesus died and shed his blood while we were still sinners without the shedding of blood. There was no remission of sin. So here we have the father involved. Here we have the son involved. But look what happens. Immediately at salvation, look what happens. In humility, after salvation, God, the Holy Spirit, came to live in us for a reason. So we could be, think, and minister like Jesus, setting us apart to be the body of Christ. To do God's will. So when you see those three things, you see that becoming a Christian is involved with the whole Trinity. All three of them were together and they all had a part. Now, when you accept Christ, those three things work together and you are, well, we don't use this term a lot anymore, but actually it's a great term. Look at verse three. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in his great mercy, he has given us, what's the next two words? New birth into a living hope. By the way, right by verse three, this is the key verse for the whole book of First Peter. So just write it in your Bible. This is the key verse in the whole book of First Peter. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice the word hope. The world uses the word hope different than we use the word hope. The word hope in the world is like, I'm wishing it would happen. I hope it happens. Let me give you an example. I hope this new diet I'm on will help me lose weight. I'm hoping it will. I'm wishing it will. Here's another one for you guys. And I'll say this for me. I hope, I'm wishing that Miami might win one more game this whole year. You see how the word is? I'm wishing it'll happen. I hope it happens. That is not the biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition, I want you to write it. It's very different. Look at this. Hope equals confident expectation. What does confident expectation mean? It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I am going to lose weight. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. Biblically, that's different because God keeps the promise. You forget that. All right, here, let me move right on. Confident expectation to anticipate with pleasure. It's going to happen. Something's going to happen in the future. Look at hope is always the future in mind. I hope it goes good on our vacation. I wish it will. No, spiritually, he's writing to people that are hurting. He says, I'm going to give you some things in the future. You have a hope for it. It's going to happen. I'll show you. I guarantee you it's going to happen. You need hope. That's why it's called a living hope. It's not wishing. It's an expectation. It is absolutely going to happen. Now, why can I say it's going to happen? Because this hope knows that God keeps all his promises. Peter's going to give us promises. And God never lies. And those hopes to us are absolutely assured. Titus 2.13 says this. While we wait for the blessed hope, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, why do we call it living hope? Why not just hope with the great definition? Here's why. Ours is a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead and he is living right now in heaven. Remember one day, Jesus said this in John 14, before long, trying to tell his disciples he was going to leave and they didn't get it. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. I have, as a Christian this morning, living hope. I'm going to see Jesus one day in heaven. Guaranteed. Now, why is he living? Because he's living. If he didn't rise from the dead, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, we'd have no hope. We'd be like everybody else in the world. But you have hope. It's a living hope, and it's based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will be in heaven one day. Because Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, the power that raised him from the dead, is the same power that's going to raise us. Can I hear an amen? amen? See, that gave suffering people hope. 
Not just hope. I wish it happens. I hope it happens. No, it's called living hope. It's going to happen. So that kind of spoke into their hearts. Look at the last part of that verse three again. In his great mercy, he has given us what? New birth. Here's what I want you to write. Every Christ follower must be born again. A spiritual rebirth. Now, one day in the evening, a man named Nicodemus, he was a Jewish religious leader, brilliant in the scripture. And he found his way to Jesus and he started talking to Jesus. But Jesus didn't even answer what he was talking about. He was a very religious man. If you've ever talked to religious people, good people, good morals, and you say to them, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I hope so. Well, what kind of hope do you mean by that? Well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. That's an open door for you and me. This was an open door for Jesus. He's thinking, I'm home free. I'm a Jewish religious leader. I love God. I'm home free. And notice what Jesus said. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God, heaven. No one can see the, how many is no one? Any exceptions? No exceptions. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he, say it with me, is born again. Now God can't lie. So there you are. See, a person that says, I hope so. Well, I wish so. They're not born again. Nicodemus was not born again. Now he didn't get born again there. He got born again later. In fact, he was involved with the resurrection and the burial of Jesus. He finally came to salvation, a personal salvation in Jesus. So Peter is reminding those people while they're out there, you can have anticipation, confident expectation, because good things are going to happen in the future. Because I know, Peter says, I'm writing to you, you guys have been born again. Now that's huge. Remember, we worship a living God who actually, the Holy Spirit lives in us. The world, now don't take this wrong. The world worships dead gods who cannot hear, speak, answer prayers, or deliver them from their sins. Understand this. In many parts of the world, the world really offers false gods. If you go, and I'm not making fun of other religions. It's the same in the Old Testament. A false god is a god that can't help you. And if I take this this morning as the statue of a God, can this God help me? But much of the world does what to this God? And they mean it. They pray, they cry, they light fires, they offer incense, they pray into this God. Help me. My marriage isn't true. My kid's born. He's got a problem. Would you heal it? God, God, would you heal? What kind of a God is this? It's a dead God. Making the decision to follow Christ doesn't insulate us from having hassles in our lives. Pastor Mark has been teaching us about God selecting us to be in His kingdom. It's not something we can understand, but it is really interesting to think about. God has given us hope and peace on a scale and in a way that the world can't fathom. You don't have to wait to hear another message from Lessons for Living. 
Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com to access our archive of messages on various topics and books of the Bible. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive updated teachings as soon as they're made available. We're so glad you joined us today, and we'd love to connect with you. Feel free to contact us with your questions and prayer requests at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue teaching about the living hope that every follower of Christ has. We'll hear about the difference between the hope we have as Christians and what the world of unbelievers calls hope. As we see the contrast between the two, it should urge us to try to communicate to them the life-changing possibilities that occur when following Christ. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series in 1 Peter. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.